0: This week we're starting a new series uh, entitled, unsurprisingly enough, given what I've been saying, Jesus Our Only Hope or or more specifically the series is titled Our Only Hope dot 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 Our only Hope when we cannot help ourselves. Our only hope when all hope seems lost. Our only hope Jesus' mercy and grace. Our only hope, the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead. And I want to remind myself and yourselves this Easter month that Jesus is our only, only, only hope. And I want to remind us of that because, well, we've just spent a month and a bit through Peter, Second Peter, and Peter wrote there going, I want to remind you guys again of this. Do you remember what Peter wanted to remind them about? Jesus is our only hope. Everlasting life. But uh, this is, uh, if, if it's good enough for Peter, it's going to be good enough for us. And this is what we're going to do. This is what we need. And Peter said, it's no bother for me to remind you guys of this because you need to be reminded. Time and time and time and time and time again. Just, just hands up if, if you've had enough reminders that Jesus is your only hope. Yeah? You're, you're never ever going to, to struggle. You're never ever going to think, oh, well, I'll, I'll find my hope somewhere else. No! We all go through ups and downs. Maybe right now life is up for you over here. You're going, I know Jesus is my only hope. I, I, I know that I know that I know that I know. Maybe you're at the bottom going, I know that I know that I know that I know. Please remind me again, Jesus is my only hope. And that's why we're together as a church. So that those who are at the top going, I know, can speak to those at the bottom going, I, I know. And this is why we are together. This is, this is one of the reasons that Jesus established a church and not a franchise, where each of us are individual messenger franchisees. Now we come together because we need to encourage each other in this. And the wonderful thing about what Jesus does is... Is that he, he brings hope? Ezekiel, uh, writing uh, or having a vision from God a long time before this, said, said this: Jesus, uh, sorry, Jesus, God is speaking to Ezekiel about the state of the nation. He's speaking about how, how terrible it is, how basically they are destroyed, they, they are dead. And this is the, 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 the point of the gospel, is that we are dead before God. Sin comes upon us. Uh, we are lifeless. But read what happens here. God says, um, I will show you verse 23 of Ezekiel chapter 36. Now let's go back a little bit to 22. Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-two. Therefore give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. I am bringing you back, but not because you deserve it. I am doing it to protect my holy name on which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. I will show you how holy my great name is, the name on which you brought great shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you before their very eyes, says the sovereign Lord, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. For I will gather you up from all the nations and I will bring you home again to your land. Listen to this. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you, so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey all my regulations. And then we move on a little bit, and in chapter 37, Ezekiel is taken. Uh, uh, by the spirit of the lord and he is carried to a valley filled with bones and he led me around the bones that covered the valley four and they were scattered everywhere and they were completely dried out and then god asks ezekiel son of man can these bones become living people again don't be stupid god the bones ezekiel's smarter than that oh sovereign lord i replied you alone know the answer to that And then God says to him, speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I'm going to put breath into you and make you live again. I'll put flesh and muscle on you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath into you and you will come to life and then you will know that I'm the Lord. And he prophesies and as he prophesies, the bones gather and they become flesh, but they're dead. They look good on the outside, but they're dead on the inside. And then God said to him, speak a prophetic message to the winds, son of man. Speak a prophetic prophetic message and say, just pause there, um, just for your interest. The word weed in both Hebrew and Greek is the same word for spirit. Just keep that in mind as you listen to this. Speak a prophetic message and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, O breath from the four winds. Breathe into these dead bodies so that they may live again. And so I spoke the message as he commanded me, and breath came into their bodies, and they all came to life and stood up on their feet, a mighty army. And then God said to Ezekiel, son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying we have become old, dry bones. Our hope, All hope is gone. Our nation is finished. Therefore prophesy to them and say, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, O my people, I will open your graves of exile and cause you to rise again, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. When this happens, O my people, you will know that I am the Lord. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live again and return home to your own land. And then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done what I said. Yes, the Lord has spoken. Isn't that fantastic? Let's turn to our reading this morning from the Gospel of John. John chapter 3. This is uh, contains maybe the most famous verse in um, the Bible. It's actually our theme verse at Super Club. We sang it last week. Robin's out at Sunday School, otherwise I'd get it to sing it to us. Uh, what, is, what does John write? He says... Uh, At the end of chapter 2, because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust him, but Jesus didn't trust them because he knew human nature and no one needed to tell him what mankind is really like. Now there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are... Evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. I love that response of Jesus. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The wind, remember the wind Spirit, the wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you cannot explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you're a respected Jewish teacher. And yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned. But the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. 4 God so loved the world for God loved the world so much that's my Sunday school version I was starting to read there for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light, so that others can see that they are doing what God wants. Jesus knows so well how easily we can be impressed by miraculous works. Uh, we can be impressed and yet miss the forest for the trees. We can see all the evidence and not get it. We cannot get that Jesus is our only hope. G- Nicodemus saw everything that Jesus had done. He, he realized that Jesus must speak or must come from God, but, but he didn't get the true significance, the, the true Implication: the, the signs were all pointing to the fact that Jesus not only comes from God, but Jesus is God. Jesus calls him in this passage, "You are the teacher." There's there's a, 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 an article there. It says, "You are the teacher of Israel, and you don't understand these things." This is this is not just some two bit person who's done a little bit of you know, private study in their own time. This is, this is a, 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 one of the important religious figures of the day. He's a Pharisee. He's, he's one of the high and mighties. He is, humanly speaking, an expert when it comes to God. And yet he is in the dark. And he comes in the dark to Jesus. He comes to question Jesus. Maybe, maybe to just have a, you know, oh, from one wise person to another, Jesus, let's have a conversation. But uh, I get the impression he's coming as, well, Jesus, I am the expert condescending to come to you. And let's ignore the fact that it's at night. Maybe people are not going to like me coming. I think John specifically mentions that it's at night because it shows that Nicodemus is in the dark. The only other person we're told of specifically doing something or going out into the night is Judas when he goes to betray Jesus. At the very least, we can say that Nicodemus recognizes that he must talk with Jesus. There's some spiritual sensitivity there, but but he's missing the big picture. He thinks... That he understands who God is. He can pick if someone is from God. It's, it's almost a condescending start to the, to the thing. Hello Jesus, just to, just to let you know, we've decided, it's official, what you've done, it proves you come from God. We'll give you a sticker, isn't that nice? He's so sure of his ideas and yet he doesn't see and recognize God standing in front of him. Nicodemus was one of those people who knew that his place in God's kingdom was a given. Because he knew that he had ticked all the right boxes. He knew that he had the power to save himself because of how he lived, because of all his knowledge, because of all that he had done. At the end of the age when God came back, he would stand up and go, God, I recognize you. And I have lived my life. And aren't you pleased? He thought he could save himself. And the problem was he was dead on the inside. He was rotten on the inside, even though the outside looked good. He was like those bones in Ezekiel chapter 37 which had gathered together and formed flesh and they looked like they should be alive but they were dead. It's possible that still today for us to think that we've got everything figured out, that we've got God figured out. And it's also possible for our knowledge about God to be a shield against the light of God. To hide behind all that we know about God from ever actually having to deal with God. It's so easy to be religious, to have all the right ideas and no relationship with God. To to do all the right things, to say all the right things, to desperately try to be good enough, to behave right. It's possible to quote the Bible like an expert and miss. The message of hope that they point to and miss the God that they speak to. It's so easy to not realize that eternal life isn't something that we can ever achieve. It's one of the great lies of Satan that if if we're just good enough, we will be good enough for God. Jesus knocks that on the head. He says, I tell you the truth. Nicodemus, expert, man who thinks you can decide whether I come from God or not. You don't get to see the kingdom of God. You don't get to experience God in all his splendor. You don't get to live forever with Jesus. Unless you are born again. You cannot save yourself. And I think this is so important for us to hear again and again and again. We cannot save ourselves. Especially the longer we become Christians, sometimes we can get so uh, almost inoculated against grace. Because we know enough and, and you know what, I've been a Christian for so many years and I know all the right things to do and look at that person over there. Look at what they're doing, aren't they ridiculous? Oh God, what a shame that they're in here. I'm not pointing at any of you, by the way. We need to be reminded that we can only be saved by grace. For us to be with God, God has to change us. We must be born again. And John likes, and Jesus obviously likes words, because the word for "again" there, at least in the Greek, I don't know what word he used in the Aramaic, but. But the word in the Greek there means, uh, it means again, but it also means from above. And so Jesus is saying, yes, you have to be born again, you have to start afresh. But he's also saying, you have to be born from above. As in, it has to be of God. We don't save ourselves by knowing enough about God. We don't save ourselves by being good enough. It's only by the secret, powerful work of God's Spirit that we can be saved. And we must be born again if we are going to see the kingdom of God. God must radically change our very nature. This is not about, uh, you must be born again, you must work harder, you must obey the laws better, you must you must uh, uh, be more urgent about being zealous for God. But this isn't what the new life is about. This isn't what being born again. It's not Jesus going to Nicodemus, unless you do better, you will not see the kingdom of God. Forget it, Nicodemus did well. Jesus says, Nicodemus, you think you've done well. Actually, you don't get to see the kingdom of God unless you are radically altered to a life where the law isn't a law, but your nature. Where it's not about, I've done all the right things, it's about, I I am. To really say a cringe-worthy phrase, and I'm sorry for this ahead of, ahead of time, but there's a bit of truth to it. We are human beings, not human doings. And Nicodemus had, as religion tends to do, had become a human doing. But we need to be not just a human being, we need to be a new human being. By God's Spirit changed. Jesus is our only hope when we cannot help ourselves because nobody can save ourselves. Only God can save, and the good news is that God does save. And this is the hope that we hold on to, and this is the hope that we offer to others. What does it mean to be born again? For those of us living at at this day and age, 2,000 odd years after Jesus first said this, it's just like one of those phrases that Christians throw off the tip of their time. Oh yes, I'm a born-again Christian. Blah, 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 blah. For Nicodemus, he's like, say what? And, and just let's stop and think, what does it actually mean to be born again? Nicodemus says, well, okay, I'm a bit confused, Jesus. This is, I thought you were a good teacher. <laughs> well, what are you on about? And Jesus explains to him, fortunately, what he means. He says there, uh, it means being born again, means being born of water and the Spirit. And people have, have all sorts of interpretations of what it means to be born of water and the Spirit. Some say it's water baptism and spirit baptism. Some say it's natural birth and spiritual birth. Some say it's this and some say it's that. Can I just say... Jesus, a little bit later, I think it's verse 10, says Nicodemus, what? You don't get what I'm saying. You're a respected teacher, you know the law, you know the Bible, you should be getting what I'm saying. In other words, Nicodemus should have got it, and if Nicodemus should have got it, we can get it as well. And there's a reason I read Ezekiel, because I think Ezekiel gives us a clue as to what Jesus is on about here, when he says, being born again means being born of water and of spirit. It's not about two different kinds of being born. This is a, a, a compound description of being born again. And in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 27, um, we read about this anticipated day when, when the Messiah comes and, and cleanses his people. And we read there about how, how not only does God clean his people from their sins, but he gives them new life with his spirit. Being born again is God coming and wiping away the stain of our sin and in giving us new life and changing us. Being born of water and spirit means being cleansed and made alive. Entry into God's kingdom isn't by race. It's not by law keeping, it's not by piety or goodness, it's not about how well we know the Bible, it's not about what experiences we've had. Entry into God's kingdom is about the dead, dry bones of Ezekiel chapter 37 coming to life. It's about God wiping out our sin and not just leaving us as beautifully clean corpses but then giving us life. Both the washing and the making alive is the work of the Spirit and cannot be separated. And a little bit later in John chapter 7, 38, Jesus speaks of the Spirit, or, or John speaks of the Spirit as living water. Nicodemus, who well, I quite like, he's, he's still confused. And so Jesus clarifies for him again in verse 6. Only the Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Humans give birth to human life. The Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Spiritual life must come from God. It's not something we can manufacture. It's not, it's, Jesus isn't saying, Come on, Nicodemus, fan the flame of your spirituality. You've got a fire inside of you. Just make it glue. How ridiculous. No, he says, no, if, if you want to have spiritual life, if you want to be born again, newsflash, you don't get to decide that. Or, or rather, you don't get to do anything about that. God has to do that. God has to do that. No more can we make a pile of dead bones become living flesh, a living person, than we can make ourselves spiritual, spiritually alive. I mean, spiritual uh, life is an invasion, an invasion by the Spirit of God coming in and transforming us and converting us into creatures that are alive to God. Because sin has made us dead to God. And the good news is there's a new birth which wipes away the sin and gives new life. And like the wind, well, let me just say first, we do have a role in this. Yes, uh, we cannot... Make ourselves spiritually alive, but but all that we can do is to believe in God. And even that belief is something that God does because God draws us to Him, to Jesus, like like a moth to a flame. And Jesus explains again, and he says, just like the wind, the pneuma, is the Greek word there. The Holy Spirit, again, the pneuma, is beyond our control or explanation. We cannot control the wind, we cannot control the Spirit, but we can experience the effects of both. And in Ezekiel chapter 37, it is the breath of the four winds that blows and brings new life. Because God directed it to Jesus' point is that we must be born again to see the kingdom of God. We cannot survive. We have no hope because sin has brought us to death. We have no hope unless God brings us to new life. And that is not something we can control. The Spirit of God controls us. We, we believe, we trust, but we don't control any aspect of it. We just trust God. And you know control there is the important thing. Because what does Nicodemus say? Hey, I find these tendencies in me as well. What does Nicodemus do? He goes as one controlling the conversation. He goes as the one in authority. I can control my destiny by doing the right things. And Jesus says to him, mate, God's in control. All you can do is trust him or not. Nicodemus is confused still in verse 9. How are these things possible? doesn't make sense to him. He had based his hope on his obedience, his prayer, his sacrifice, his status as a Jew, his, his status as a Pharisee, his privilege and his position. And Jesus answers him, uh, you're a respected teacher, you're a respected rabbi, and yet you don't understand these things. Ironically, Nicodemus who comes and says, rabbi, to Jesus. Jesus turns and says to them, yes, rabbi. Tell me about it. You, you call yourself a teacher. You are the teacher. You are the respected teacher of Israel. You think you know it all, but you've missed God's plan of salvation. And Nicodemus, we learn there in, in chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, he just cannot accept the truth. Jesus speaks about he, how he refuses to believe. Uh, verse 12, if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? You are not believing me, Nicodemus. What are these earthly things that Nicodemus can't believe? Well, uh, <laughs> I think Jesus is talking and saying, Nicodemus, the earthly things you can't believe is the fact that people can be given spiritual life. Because that happens here on earth. He says, you come to me as a teacher and we want to talk about high and lofty things over here. What's the point? You don't get the basics. Now, if you want to build a house, build your roof. It's going to be wonderful. But if you forget to build the walls first, it's going to be stupid. And windows stay better if you've put a window frame in. This is what Jesus is saying... If you don't get the basics, if, if you cannot see the kingdom of God, if you don't get that it's all about grace and it's not about you, there's no point in me telling you more. The thing is, Jesus could tell him more. Jesus knows in a way that Nicodemus never could know. His knowledge is first hand comes from heaven no one has gone to heaven and returned and uh, uh, Carson puts it this way Jesus insists that no one has ascended to heaven in such a way as to return to talk about heavenly things and he says to Nicodemus I can talk to you about such things but you don't get the basics and so what's the point what's the point of knowledge if it's dead what's the point of knowing everything if you are dead you know, we can spend time studying this, this Bible as a book. We can get all sorts of knowledge about God. And what's the point if we are dead? What's the point if it's all about me controlling the process? But you controlling the process. We have a problem that we cannot solve by our own efforts. Sin is like a deadly poison coursing through our veins. Our only hope is for a radical solution from God. And Jesus, for Nicodemus, gives one last image. He says, I want to speak to you and remind you, Nicodemus, of I think it's Numbers chapter 21, the bronze snake. In Israel, the Israelites who are so like us, they have their ups and their downs. In this particular time, they had a a time where they were grumbling against God and grumbling against, why have you done this, God? You're just a horrible, you're mean, you're ugh And, and we hate you didn't use those exact words, but that's basically what they were going in. And God punishes them. He sends poisonous snakes into the camps and people are getting bitten and they're dying. Uh, And then they they repent and they go, we've done the wrong thing. And God says to Moses, Moses, take a, a, a bronze snake. Make a snake out of bronze and stick it on a pole and put it up there. And whoever looks at that snake will not die. Whoever trusts me will not die. Now, we're going to do an experiment. So I've got some snakes at the back there. Because this is a medical technique, isn't it? I mean, there's something about the bronze that will undo snake poison. You work with blood. No, you don't. That's, uh, oh, we don't have... uh, Phlebotomists, we don't have that yet today, but we've got a doctor, Dr. Reg. Uh, bronze is very good at working against snake poison. Cop, oh well, uh, we don't have copper. So this isn't the point, this isn't about, this is a medical procedure. This, this isn't a natural way of being killed. And by the way, if you get bitten by a snake, don't look at a bronze snake, call the doctors. The point of this in that particular incident was to teach Israel that we are saved. By looking to Jesus. We deserve to die for rebelling against God. The the penalty for treason is death. But if we look to God, we can be saved. If we trust Him, we can be saved. And says Jesus in the same way, our hope today is to look to Jesus who was lifted up. We don't have the cross out today, but He was lifted up on the cross for us. We look to the one representing our curse, cursed for us. And so we live forever. This is not about our saving ourselves. This is about looking and going, I cannot save myself. The veins are full of poison. God, save me. Because I cannot save myself. And I think this is, uh, depending on who, you, uh, who your translator is and who your... Um, which branch of theology you follow, this is possibly where Jesus finishes his conversation with Nicodemus. It's possible he carries on, but uh, verse 16, uh, the tense changes, and, and John starts talking about what God has done. Might, maybe Jesus talking, doesn't really matter. But he says, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. The world is humanity standing in opposition to God, and God loves it. To a world that cannot save itself, God sends Jesus to rescue. And when we look to Jesus, in the words of John Calvin, we see the heart of God poured out in love. And the invitation is as wide as God's heart. Whoever believes is saved. Whoever looks and trusts is saved. We don't give ourselves new life. We just look to God and go, God, I'm trusting you for new life. And he washes away our sins and he breathes new life into us. That's what we... Celebrated this morning. The most difficult, simple thing we need to get through our skulls is that we cannot save ourselves. We need Jesus. And it is the most difficult, simple thing. Because you see, Jesus forces a choice, He didn't enter this world to judge. And yet in chapter 9, we read that he did enter this world to judge. Both are true because although Jesus didn't come into the world to judge, his, his saving forces the issue. His offer of rescue draws a dividing line right down the center of humanity. Those who... Put their faith in Him who who trust Him. Faith is trust. Those who trust Him encounter Jesus as Savior and King, the one who loves them, the one who says, I've done away with your sin. I've given you new life. I'm holding you up. I will never, ever let you go. And those who reject Him experience Him as judge and King. And the problem, says John, says Jesus, uh, is that, perhaps, is that we love the darkness and we hate the light, depending on who's speaking here. We hate the light. And we hate the light because we are afraid of being exposed by it. As long as nobody, even God, doesn't see my depravity, I'll get away with it. Can I have an amen? Amen Amen for nonsense. (laughs) That's what we think though, isn't it? We're like ostriches sticking our head in the sand and going, well, if God doesn't see it, God won't be able to do anything about it. And if you don't see it, you won't do anything about it. But more than that, evil and darkness don't just ignore the lights. Because light's got an irritating thing of overwhelming darkness. And in the wartime, according to the books I read, if you've got a spotlight on you, what you do, you don't just move your boat out of the way or your airplane out of the way. You make sure that you put the light out. And that's what, that's what we read here. Those who live in the darkness don't just uh, the evil doesn't just ignore the light; it wages war against it. It tries to stop it. But, Chapter One, Verse Nine: The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot extinguish it. The very nature of light is that it cannot be overcome by darkness. You know how incredible it is. We see light coming from stars six billion trillion years away. And you know there's other stars that we don't even see because the light's so weak. Is the light gone? No, the light's there. We just we're not good enough to see it. This is this is the amazing thing about light. You cannot stop it. You can try. You can build a nice big wall. Maybe even like Nicodemus, a wall of, of religiosity and knowledge. But, but at the end of the day, even the wall shows that there's something to hide. And the light shines on it. And everyone sees. And, 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 and there's nothing we can do. And so, says evil, we must undo the light. And that's what it did. And it took Jesus and it killed him. And they said, Yes. And the battle launches its own demise because he comes back to life. And people see him. And they leave their testimony to that. And Jesus works even today and people leave their testimony of that. And when we put our trust in Jesus, when we turn to him, when we look to him, God sent his spirit and transforms us into children of God. And, and what we do and this is true whether we trust Him or not, what we do is already exposed for God. You know, the the stupid thing is, we so often we can build up walls against God and shields against God. Oh God, like Nicodemus, I'm doing all the right stuff and you can't see all the stuff behind the wall, but look how good I am. I've drawn a nice picture on it, isn't it pretty? And God's like, you do realize I've got X-ray vision? God knows. Those who come to the light come knowing that we are totally, there's nothing hidden from God. And the good news is that God looks at us and goes, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow, Nick. I know about that. I died for it too. All those little things that we go, oh, God never finds out about this. God's just going, "Uh uh-huh. For the creation of the world. I know. i died for it. Those who come to the light are not ashamed to be exposed by the light, not ashamed for God to know because God already knows. We need to be open about the darkness that is within us. If not to a large group, we need to be appropriate about this. At the very least to God and to ourselves. And I think it's important to be open with with at least someone. because, Because we can be very good at pretending that the darkness within us is actually light. Nicodemus thought he was the brightest torch in Israel. And he was a black hole sucking others in. Bringing them into the darkness with him. you know what I love about Jesus is that he is the light but he enters into the darkness to shine to shine into our world and into our lives and he finds us and brings us into the light that is his mission and because God comes by his spirit and starts working new life within us what we do for God is not something we can be ashamed about because we know it's not of us but of him and and this is the other thing that Jesus talks about there uh, he says those who do what is right come to the light so that others can see what they, that they are doing what God wants and it's not about hey hey look at me I'm doing what God wants it's more about hey look at me I am like you I, I've been saved by grace I was dead look what God is doing we have this treasure writes Paul in earthen vessels in clay jars to show that this power is from God and not from us If we do anything good, it's not because I'm good, it's because God is good in me. There is a choice for each one of us to come to the light or to fight against it. And yes, coming to Jesus means opening our lives to God and and perhaps to others where appropriate. Not perhaps, to others where appropriate. And yes, it means choosing to actually live lives of integrity, to match our behavior to the, to the new life that God has given us on the inside. It's, it's pretty stupid to be like Nicodemus, to be nice on the outside and rotten on the inside, but it's also pretty stupid to be nice on the inside and rotten on the outside. And if we're in the light, we, we, we want to start matching the inside to the outside. That, have you ever tried, ladies, tried putting lipstick on in the dark? That's so much easier in the light, isn't it? I haven't tried putting lipstick on in the dark. I always put mine on in the day. (laughs) Or shaving. Men, it's terribly difficult to shave without a mirror, isn't it? But when you can see, you can do a lot better. Jesus comes and he gives us new life. And he comes as our light. And he starts transforming us from the outside in. and, And we can start choosing to live that as well to start addressing the darkness that that still lingers because we are new. Yes, we're not perfect this side of eternity, but we we can and we need to choose to live as we are saved. We, We need to choose to live by grace alone. And the wonderful news of the gospel is that failure doesn't undo us because we don't hold God up. He holds us up. We gain nothing by running away from God, by hiding, by putting up shields, by thinking that we're in control because control is an illusion and freedom is a fallacy. And both will be shattered when Jesus, our only hope to be with God, returns unless we trust him. God's will is that we should not perish but that we should live with him forever. The will of the darkness is that God just get out of the way. C.S. Lewis put it well. I'm going to finish with this. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, well, thy will be done. There's a great song by DC Talk probably showing my youth to some of you as well Um, and the chorus says I want to be in the light as you are in the light I want to shine like the stars in the heavens oh God be my light and be my salvation because all I want is to be in the light he says the, the verse says that the disease of self runs through my blood it's a cancer that's fatal to my soul every attempt on my behalf has failed to bring the sickness under control What's going on inside me, says the song. I despise my own behavior. This only serves to confirm my suspicion that I am a man that you are capable of lives. Come to